Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. My name is Umar Hamid. I'm your host on the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategy, and advice on how you can become better, stronger, faster. Just before we get started, I've got a question for you. Do you have a negative voice inside your head? We all do, right? I'm going to help you remove that voice in under 30 days guaranteed. Not only remove it, but transform it. So instead of the voice that sabotages you, there's one that propels you to much higher levels of performance and success. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it to find out more. All right, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Today, I have the privilege of having Jim Beach with me today. He's a McGraw-Hill author, and one of his books, one of his many books, is School for Startups. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. So, Jim, before we went on air, we were talking about your two recent books. You totally outsourced everything. Tell us why you thought it was funny to bring a comedy book out in this election time. God knows we need humor. So where did the idea come from and how did you execute it? For years, I have wanted to write a Tom Clancy book. I've wanted to write a thriller. And I used to live in Asia. I've lived all over the world, but I spent a lot of time in Asia. And I thought that China would be the natural villain. I think they're the easiest villain in the world right now. It's pretty easy to cast them as a villain. And when the pandemic started, I, I saw, you know, this is the time. I need to write my, my political thriller now using the pandemic as part of the story and then also a part of the election. And at this point, it was probably September of last year when I decided to do this. And I realized I didn't have time between September and November to write a book. And then my wife didn't like the idea that I was going to write one book for one candidate. So I committed to writing two books, one for Trump fans and one for Biden fans. And they are designed to be satire, comical. And as you said, I think we need to laugh now more than we've ever needed to laugh. And we need to make fun of everything. And I think all of the politicians are worthy of teasing Satire, absolutely. And so, so I outsourced the whole book. I decided that I would use uh, the style would be a collection of newspaper articles. And the way the reason I did that was because I could call up a, a, a journalism student in Kenya and say, hey, write me a thousand words on this newspaper story. So assume that it is May 2021. Taiwan has just been invaded by China. Mm -hmm. 200,000 people are dead. Write a thousand words on that. And then I gave 20 or 30 journalism students a chapter each to write. And then they wrote the book for me. Then I took the chapters, made it into a cohesive thing, and then outsourced the title or the cover and all of the pieces and got them out about two weeks before the election. So start to finish, the project was how many months? Six weeks. Six weeks, so not even two months. And I published two 250-page books in six weeks. How are they doing? They didn't do that well, to be honest, because I really didn't have enough time to promote them. It was almost the, the day of the election. They did really well for a while, and they got about 25 star reviews each. Uh, but this, the, you know, the day the election was over, I quit marketing them and took them. Yeah. I quit playing. Here we are. 
Here's an interesting time. So what we're really talking about is entrepreneurship, startups, but at the foundational level, it's all about beliefs and what we think is possible, what isn't. And so I'm going to still stay in the political realm for a moment that I could have a conversation about, let's say, Joe Biden said, da, 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 da. And all of a sudden the people from the other side would be, that guy is a bastard. I said, oh, I'm sorry. Actually, Trump had said that. And you could do the same thing to the other side, that we've gotten to this place where automatically our filters come up when we think about whoever the other is. And you can mess with people's head when you kind of say, oh, I'm sorry. I meant the other guy. Yes. It would be a fun game to give a quote and say, who said this? Yeah. <laughs> your guy or the other guy? You know, because I, I find them all hypocritical. I'm not a fan of politicians. I think we would do better with people chosen out of the phone book. But uh, anyway, so, they're fun to make fun of. Absolutely. And it's a tough gig. Like if you take what uh, President Trump did for the US in terms of when the pandemic first started, whichever way you're on, he did a good job, bad job. Just that decision at the beginning when there was like 10 cases in the US, think of the courage it would have taken to say, we're going to stop dead in our tracks for the next three weeks and we're going to be okay. But delaying that, but can you imagine the the weight of that decision? Because that would have been a freaking awesome decision. I'm not even sure John F. Kennedy would have done it or Lincoln. Well, you know, it's a decision where you had to, you know, the same as sending someone to war or something like that. In retrospect, it might have been even braver to say, we're not going to lock down because uh, the data is pretty clear that the lockdown has not helped. Uh, you know, maybe we would have been better off getting it over sooner or something. I don't know. I, I have no clue. Uh, I, I do know that this isn't working. Uh, so so let's, uh, let's uh, bring it back down to business. I think uh, one of the conversations we had was you taught at a university level for 15 years? About 10 years. About 10 years. And each year, you challenged your students to pick a business and pick a country, and you would successfully launch a business in that country, and you had not lost a bet for 10 years. So tell me about one of those countries and one of those businesses and how you executed, and did you have a oh shit moment when it was like first revealed what you had to do? You know, not really. Everything went pretty well. The first one was furniture out of Pakistan. And if you go on my LinkedIn, yes, you should call me. I, I, I should have called you. Uh, if you go on my LinkedIn profile and keep scrolling to the very bottom of my experiences, you'll see the chairs that we ended up producing. They were absolutely a, a beautiful product, but I think entrepreneurship should be taught through execution, not through theory. A theory class about entrepreneurship is pretty useless. And they have plenty of PhDs who will teach you that junk. And I didn't have a PhD. I still don't. And when I started teaching, I, I only could teach what I know, which is execution. So I bet the class, uh, the, if I lost, they all got A's. If I won, I got to give them whatever grade I thought they deserved, which is the way it should be in the first place. But they got to choose the country and the industry. And this was right after 9-11. So they thought it would be funny if they chose Pakistan. And I had done a lecture the week before on how furniture is the worst industry in the world. It's a 2% margin industry. And so they thought it would be fun if I had to do Pakistani furniture. Again, go look at the product. We found a kid to go into the market of Lahore and buy Killam carpets, uh, old Persian rugs. He would pay 
$20 sometimes for a rug that would sell for 5000 here in the United States. And right. then we cut that rug up and made it into the fabric for a traditional American chair. So imagine a big stuffed armchair next to a fireplace and a distressed leather sofa. And that chair is a vibrant, colorful, red, green, blue, yellow, oriental rug. The great thing is we could get them into the United States for, I think, $260 was mm-hmm. my landed cost. And mm-hmm. I sold them for about $2,000 each. So there's one of my tricks. I only had to sell two or three chairs to be profitable and win the bet. That is freaking awesome. And just going back to you, you know, practical experience is so much more important because I'm not sure if you remember this, but back in high school, they had this thing called sex ed, which yeah. was uncomfortable and well, horrible. I went to a Christian to school, so we didn't have that. But you didn't miss out on much. And then when the first time you actually did have a romantic interlude, it was a totally different experience. Hopefully a good one. But it's akin to that, right? Do you remember that movie Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield? Of course. Loved it. So there's this one scene that kind of ties to that where he's in class and the guy says, so if you want to do construction, he says, oh, the first thing you need to do is pay off the unions and do this. Yeah, I remember that scene. Yes. Oh my God, we don't do that over here. We are Yale or whatever. And it's like the reality is quite different. Very different, yes. So every day in class, I I didn't come in with a lecture. I came in and said, here's what I did last week. Last week, I called the embassy in Lahore, and they introduced me to uh, three manufacturers. And the next week, I came in and said, I placed an order. And two weeks later, I brought my first order into the building, and we cut it in half in the middle of the atrium with a chainsaw to make sure that the inside was built correctly. Brilliant. So did you also give them assignments to go start some stuff themselves? Or was it just you and the guinea pig? No, they had to do a lot of stuff. You know, they had reading that they had to do and a lot of exercises. One of my favorite exercises is that they have to go and theoretically start a drop shipping business. So they have to find a product, candles, and then go find 10 companies that will drop ship candles for them. And at that point, you might as well start the business. You've done all the hard work. So uh, they had a lot of very practical uh, exercises, but I was doing most of the hard lifting in that class. So I think one of the things that's really kind of interesting is one of the biggest problems in the US, at least in my point of view, is that disparity in wealth. And there's certain areas, I live in Baltimore, and we have some amazing areas and some areas that are really distressed. And I think entrepreneurship and business is the great equalizer. It, How you hope you, it should be, yes. And if you take a look at you know, the work of Muhammad Yusuf with the microloans and some of the social businesses that he started, it empowers people. And we all have, no matter where in the US you go, we have these economic development programs, but a lot of them fail to deliver the results that we want or we know that you know that we're capable of. What do you think is the disconnect? I think a huge part of it is the mindset, the idea that you know, it is possible for me to go start a, a business. You know, my first business grew to 700 employees, started that when I was 24. I had the mindset that I could do that. I didn't think that that was impossible because I grew up in an entrepreneurial home. My my Both my parents were very entrepreneurial, and so it was not out of the norm. But, if, you know, if you grew up in a 
a household where both of the employees or both the parents are hourly employees. The idea of going and starting a business is, I think, very overwhelming. What do you do first? What's the first piece to do? Uh, where do you get the money? You know, uh, and just the idea, I can do this. I can do this. You know, I think that those are the hardest parts. And so that's where we have to start is teach people, you know, you can do it. You can do it for free. I, you know, I can give you a business today to go start for free. It's not that hard to find. So how do we build that muscle? Because you can't go from like zero to 60, but are there exercises we can give people that would prove to them that you can do it? Like I've got some friends in town that every year they have a bet and it's like, okay, we're going to make you penniless in Baltimore. And they pick a city that's not too far away. That might be two hours away. And it's the first one that gets to this destination. And it's your ingenuity and your ability to beg and seduce people to help you out. So what do you recommend that we could start teaching people baby steps? So they start going, hey, I could do this to build up to that. Is there yeah, a curriculum? There's a ton of great exercises. Uh, go interview an entrepreneur. And I don't want, I could care less what you learn from the interview. The point of the exercise is to find an entrepreneur that will let you interview them. That's the point of the exercise. Then the next exercise is to spend a day with an entrepreneur. And I don't care what you learn. The point of the exercise is to find an entrepreneur that will let you spend the day with them. That inherently in and of itself, that journey is the same thing as finding a manufacturer. It's the same thing as finding a business partner. And so those sort of exercises are, are fantastic. Uh, go out in class and the first person to come back with five new dollars, you know, just like what your friends do. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a billion ways to do these sort of things. You know, start a car wash on the weekend and learn what it takes. You know, I need water all of a sudden. Okay. Where are you going to get some free water? You know, uh, I need soap. Okay. This could be actually a collaboration. This could be the next great book. A hundred exercises to get the entrepreneurial stuff you can do today. So I've got a friend of mine, uh, Jay Livingston, and he was telling me that he was jealously eyeing his dad's guitar because his dad used to play guitar. He's got this beautiful guitar that he wanted. And he goes to his dad and he says, and he was an adult at the time, dad, can I have your guitar? You're not using it. And his dad said, well, actually, yeah, but you've got a guitar. What I want you to do is I want you to go buy the most expensive set of strings you can for your guitar and play it every day for 90 days and uh, notice that your guitar is going to sound better and then you can get mine. He goes, "Uh, okay. And he realized that the guitar did sound better. Then he realized, no, it was me practicing. I sounded better. And his dad tricked him by getting new strings. And so sometimes that's what we need to do is do a Jedi mind trick and say, go get an interview with a mentor. And they don't realize that real task is landing the interview and not the conversation. So kudos to you. There are a lot of exercises that work. A lot of fun ones. So tell me about one of your students that when you looked at that student and you went, you know, Ahmed or Judy could be freaking brilliant, but they just were not exhibiting it. How did you tease it out of them? Like, because sometimes they have to overcome their own hesitations and limitations. Do you have one of those stories uh, top of head where you help somebody overcome their own uh, limitations and step into awesomeness? Yeah, I'm going to choose my wife. Uh, my wife is incredibly shy and introverted. Uh, we met 
when she was an MBA student, I was her professor and I made her cry the first day of class. Uh, I asked her a question and she broke into tears. Oh, no, no, mind. It's probably not the case. <laughs> I'm sorry. What was that? I was just teasing. I said, did you tell her the first day you met her, you're going to be my wife? And then she broke into tears. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she had a crush on me first. So anyway, uh, we got married and one day, one year for Christmas, I gave her a business book, a class on how to start an Amazon business. And the next day on December 26th, she started her Amazon business and she made, I think, $67,000 that first year profit while working full-time. She has a very stressful full-time job and she, you know, we have four kids and dogs and a lot of babies and me to take care of. And it changed her entire disposition changed. She switched jobs three times now. And every time she's making a massive jump up and she's no longer a shy introvert as much, you know, she realized that she could do it. A brilliant. Good for you for doing that. And B, sometimes it's hard to believe in ourselves, but if you can find the right mentor that lets you do this experience and all of a sudden you kind of go, wow, I am more powerful than I possibly thought. It gives them permission to step into who they who they are, who they could be. Yes. Another thing I like to do is to introduce them to some really successful people who are actually morons. And there's so many of those. <laughs> you know, there's so many people who are not smart who have made millions of dollars. And once you realize that, you're, you know, well, I'm smarter than that moron. And I have more gumption and I'm, you know, I'm willing to take a little risk like that moron did. And well, if that moron can do it, why can't me, the moron, do it? I'm going to challenge you there just a little bit. So the moron actually being successful, I suspect, once in a blue moon could be dumb luck, but I think there's a certain mindset there. Or just they work their ass off or, you know. Or just, you know, I deserve this. This is going to work. And that's like a magical thing. And good luck, you know, kudos for them. But sometimes when you show that other person that's a moron, before they never even endeavor doing it, and that lie that they're a moron, which they certainly could be, is enough for that person to hold on to and let go of their own limitations and go on the journey. Yes. And so I believe in the power of useful lies. And so is there a useful lie that you've told yourself in the past that turned out not to be true, but you still allowed you to execute at a higher level? I don't know. I think that those usually turn out to be true. You know, I can do that. I can write a book or I I can give that speech in front of all those people, or I can get that pretty girl to say yes and go out with me. Uh, Your limiting belief usually falls away and you discover that you can do a lot of those things and that you are capable of doing those. So uh, more often than not, the story ends with success and a cool new skill set or a cool discovery that you're able to do something that you never thought possible. You know, I started my first business when I was 24. Everyone told me I was crazy. Well, we were in the summer camp industry and within six years, we were the largest summer camp company in the world. And within eight years, we were the largest children's education company in the world. Uh, Everyone said that couldn't be done. You know, we started our first location was at Stanford. People, you can't have your first location at Stanford. That's not going to happen. Well, my second one was MIT, so screw you. 
<laughs> so when you look back at your career, I'm sure some wins, some losses. Oh, yeah. So tell me about uh, some of the lessons you learned from the losses. Uh, mostly cash flow. You know, I, I think the single most important thing is to preserve cash, spend money as slowly as possible uh, to bootstrap and to fight the cash at every single instance. When I have failed, it's usually because I've let myself spend too much money. Uh, I 20 years ago, I built a web platform for doctors so that the patients could go online and make an appointment for the doctor and see the doctor with an appointment. You know, today that's standard 20 years ago, no one, no doctor would do it. I lost a million dollars. Um, and if I had gone and just asked five doctors, you know, if I built this, would you buy it? And they would all say, no, I would have saved a million dollars by not building it in the first place. They all said, yeah, this is really cool. I wish my doctor had this, but there's no way in hell I'm using it in my office. Thank you for sharing that, number one. Number two, it's such a self-evident idea. Like right now, we can't live without that calendaring software because this probably saves 100 million hours uh, in the US alone a year of going People back People on the forth. phones, yeah, stupid conversations, yep. And back then, it would have been just as useful, but for them, it's like, I'm not using it as something new and just that uh, being afraid of being the first. Well, also, I think the idea that people could go and see your schedule and see that all of Friday is blocked off. And they're like, why is your entire Friday blocked off? Well, it's because I play golf, you know? <laughs> yeah. So uh, even when you switch it and do it like Calendly does now and say, here are three options. Yes. Uh, you know, the doctors didn't like that either. They were afraid of the change and they didn't want to be the first one to go and do it. So that was a huge failure of mine fiscally and every other way. Brilliant. So dear listeners, as you listen to this conversation, a lot of times you hear of all the wins that successful people have, and certainly you need to grab the lessons from those wins, but the failures are such a great lesson, such a great teacher as well. Yes. And I have failed. I'm really good at failing, Umar. I have failed a lot and... Uh, I failed in every category, personal, marriage, religious, sports, everything. So that is amazing. So can you give us some uh, tips to entrepreneurs listening in tips on how to fail fast? Cause a good example is I had this boss when we used to have this thing called paper. And so when he was launching a new product, we would create a beautiful brochure about this piece of technology and sell it as if it actually existed. And we would get people to say, uh, no, I will not invest in this. And it wasn't, you know, if we built this, it was like, we've built it. Do you want it? And we could actually test it before we ever spent a nickel in actually building it. So do you have any hacks like that, that people could use to fail fast? Yeah. So many things like that. I actually have a list somewhere of 85 bootstrapping tricks. I love uh, it. There's you know, so many ways to do that. I like to ask people before you sell it, you know, before you even invent it. If I had this product, would you buy it? And what would you pay for it? And then say, would you sign this piece of paper ah. committing to that? It's called a sales contract. <laughs> and I'm going to hold you. To, I mean, would you sign this piece of paper? You said you'd pay $4,000 for it. Okay. Right here. It says 3,700. Please sign. You're not going to sign. Oh, well, you, you've learned a lesson there that, <laughs> you know, 
Has anybody actually signed when you did that? Has anybody actually said, get to work, dude? I'm signing. Yes. yes. Hundreds. What product? Uh, almost all of them. You know, really? my summer camp, I was a 24-year-old saying, I'm having a summer camp this summer at Stanford. Send me $5,000. And you know what? The parents sent me money. And the most amazing thing was they showed up on the first Sunday. And I said, parents, here are the rules. Now we need you to leave. And you know what the parents did? They left. Bunch of idiots. I'm 24. I don't know how to take care of your kid. I don't know how to be a parent. And they all left. And so that is brilliant. They yeah. So uh they had all paid up in advance. Uh you can almost always get someone to pay in advance. So that's not that hard. I really like that. Do you remember that movie Tucker and the Man and His Machine? Yes. About the car company. And I think he was using brochures to sell his cars before he built them to finance the company. And in some level, in some ways, there's nothing new under the sun. And certainly there's certainly new things that come up, but the derivatives of what we've known. So you had said that, uh, you know, your amazing wife did this amazing journey and she tolerates you. And you said, little kids, do you still have little kids or are they all, are they all grown up? Uh, we have children from 23 to diapers. All right. So thinking of the diaper ones, when do you start their entrepreneurial journey? At what age and what kind of things would you recommend? They may never be entrepreneurs, but that mindset is so critically important to have to win in life. It's got nothing to do with the mindset of being an entrepreneur. It's got the mindset of the fact that I belong to a unit and I must contribute to that unit. This unit is stickering for the next five hours. And a three-year-old, hell, a two-year-old can sticker. And uh, an eBay or an Amazon business involves, believe it or not, lots of stickering because yeah. every product in the world has a barcode on it. Amazon mm -hmm. uses their own barcode, of course. So every single product you sell on Amazon, you have to cover up the existing barcode with a new barcode. That's my two-year-old's job. Love it. Child and we labor. sit there and we watch Frozen 2 as a family. The entire family watches a Disney movie. We eat pizza and everyone does something to get 5,000 boxes of Amazon supplies out the door before bedtime. That is brilliant. Words to live by. Before we part company today, Jim, any last thoughts to share with the listeners? Yeah. Uh, let me tell you my philosophy. Number one. Uh, risk is bad. Do everything you can to avoid risk. You should start a business with no more than you can afford to spend on one week of vacation. So I go to vacation to Disney. We spend $10,000 a week. I don't let my, myself spend more than $10,000. Uh, risk is bad. Limit it. Number two, creativity is awesome but not it's useless for entrepreneurs. 93% of ideas are copies of existing businesses. So why, if you want to be an entrepreneur, copy some existing business and just do it better. Don't try to have a new idea. You'll never succeed. And third, passion is awesome in the church, the synagogue, and the mosque, and the bedroom, but it's useless for an entrepreneur. I am passionate about my lifestyle, the freedom, the fact that I wear what I want, the fact that I have no commute, the fact that if I want to work all night, I do. If the fact that if I want to take the afternoon off to go watch soccer practice, I can. I'm not passionate about the product. I've sold purses, 
jackets. I've sold tons of stuff that in a billion years I would never use myself. I'm passionate about the lifestyle, and that is enough. Don't care what the product is. Go start a business in any product. Just go out there and get started. There's no risk. You're not going to have any risk, so why stop? Words to live by. Learned a lot on this episode. Thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. My honor. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. 